NASCAR driver Richard Petty once said, if you ain't trying to cheat a little, you ain't likely to win much. This was his version of the common phrase, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. It's a phrase that's familiar to most of us, and it's commonly used to describe ways in which athletic programs, professional franchises, or individual athletes find ways to get a competitive advantage over others. In a sense, the phrase serves as an excuse, a normalization or a dismissal of any sort of kind of wrongdoing in the event that someone gets caught. Well, in the last two decades, the sporting world has seen a collective fight against the use of performance-enhancing drugs as a means of competitive advantage, especially in international competition as well as in Major League Baseball. If you follow cycling, then you know that the last two Americans to win the Tour de France, Lance Armstrong and Floyd Landis, later had their championships stripped away as a result of doping. Former Major League Baseball All-Star Alex Rodriguez was suspended for the entire 2014 season as a result of his PED use. And just recently, the International Olympic Committee did not allow Russia to be officially represented in the 2018 Winter Olympic Games, and many of their athletes were barred from competing due to failed drug tests. Now, in all of these instances, there were two elements of honesty, or lack thereof, at play. First, the use of PEDs gave them a competitive advantage. To what extent is hard to quantify, but nevertheless, the supplements that they were taking were banned by their sport. So there was a lack of integrity by not abiding to the rules and regulations of the sport. The second is that when confronted by the truth, whether by accusation or by actual evidence, the response was not admission, but rather denial that they had done anything wrong to begin with. Now, I'm sure we all wish we could say that we would handle this sort of situation differently. But more often than not, when our integrity is called into question, whether for something big or something small, our instinct is denial, even if we've been caught red-handed. Well, as you may have guessed, as we continue in our sermon series on character, today we're going to be looking at honesty. We're going to be looking at a story in the book of Acts this morning, starting in chapter 4. You can find it on page 1662 in the Bibles in front of you, but you can also follow along on the screens. Now, this is one of those stories that often gets overlooked or passed over. It's an incredibly uncomfortable story that causes the reader to ask why Luke even includes this in his early account of the Christian church. And while we don't see the consequence of sin from this story in the same fashion today, what we can take from this text is that followers of Christ, that that as followers of Christ, we are to live real, honest, authentic lives of integrity. Hear now the word of the Lord from Acts 4 verse 32 through 5, verse 11. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerful at work in them all that there were no needy persons around them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. 
Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not just lied to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So things go from a really bright, cheery description of this loving community to dark and disturbing real quick. What in the world is the Apostle Luke doing by putting this depressing story in the beginning of a book about the foundations of the Christian church? Well, at this point in history, the church is at its very genesis. The description that Luke gives here at the end of chapter 4 paints this beautiful picture of the church at its best. Listen to his description again. All of the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no, need, no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. You see, there's an incredibly unique unity in the church as Luke describes it here. Those early Christians sensed a spiritual bond at the deepest level of their lives. Their spirits were knit together in the cords of Christ's love and Christ's life. They knew that they belonged to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. They realized that everything that they had was from God, that it was given to them not for their own exclusive use, but to be shared with fellow believers. And there was no coercion involved. Any believer was free to own property, and if he so chose, no one would think less of them for it. But many of them were selling their material possessions and giving that money to the apostles to be distributed to those. And those people, in all probability, had lost their jobs because of the religious persecution that they were experiencing at that point in time. And so they were sacrificing their own comforts and conveniences for the good of everybody in their community. And so we have this description of this unified community. And then Luke contrasts the story of Barnabas, who sold property and donated the proceeds um, in chapter 4, with Ananias and Sapphira, who do the same thing in chapter 5. On the outside, these two actions seem to be the same. Yet Barnabas is commended for his actions, while Ananias and Sapphira are condemned and solemnly judged. Why the difference? 
Well, at first sight, it would seem that the sin was that they kept back part of the money for themselves. But Peter later says that they were under no obligation to either sell the property nor donate any of the money to begin with. In verse 4, Peter asks, didn't the land belong to you? And after it was sold, was not the money at your disposal? These are rhetorical questions, but it's as if Peter is communicating to them, there's no requirement. There was no requirement to sell the land nor to give the money. All of these actions were voluntary. Okay, so what's the problem? Peter says it's because they lied. In other words, they posed as if they were giving the whole price of the land. This act of laying the money at the apostles' feet was to say, this was the price of the land that we sold. You see, they wanted the credit. They wanted the honor in the community of being sacrificial givers, but they didn't want to pay the actual cost for it. In short, Ananias and Sapphira's motive for giving was not God's honor, but their own honor. It was not out of concern to benefit the poor, but out of concern to benefit themselves. Their sin was hypocrisy. It was false piety and a lack of integrity. Okay, so why did Ananias and Sapphira die? Why was this sin seen as so serious? Well, up until now, all of the attacks of the early church were coming from outside of the church, from the Roman government and laws that prohibited the practice of Christianity. But here in Acts 5, the attack on the church comes from within the church. The deception of Ananias and Sapphira threatened the trust and unity of this church community that Luke described in chapter 4. And so it was hypocrisy. And throughout all of the centuries, nothing has hurt the work and witness of the church more than this. Ananias and Sapphira were guilty of spiritual pride and were using Christianity as a way to get a reputation for being moral and spiritual pillars. You see, they had obviously missed the gospel's message of free grace to unworthy sinners. Thus, their Christianity was really a way for them to earn the reputation and sense of worth through spiritual achievements. Perhaps they would have risen up into places of leadership in the church because of their generosity, and they would have made the church a proud, legalistic place. You see, this sin was enormously dangerous, and it's the type of sin that Jesus spoke against so many times in his interactions with the Pharisees. You see, lying and hypocrisy from, this in the, from within the church was a threat to the radically loving spiritual community which was being so powerfully used to spread the gospel. Therefore, at such a critical moment in the foundations of the Christian faith, God was protecting his church. We don't have to look too far to see that this is still an issue in the church today. One of the biggest complaints I hear about Christians from people is that there are so many hypocrites in the church. G.K. Chesterton was believed to have said, the greatest argument against the truth of Christianity is the lives of Christians. Similarly, Brendan Manning wrote in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. There's a lot of truth in these statements. And it's important that especially in today's climate to, climate to remember that people are watching. And not only are they watching, but because of the amount of hypocrisy within the American church especially, they aren't just watching. 
They're waiting for the church to fail because time and time again, they see individuals who claim to follow Jesus living unrepentant, sinful lives, and they see the institution protecting their own instead of holding their own accountable. They see an institution called to care for the vulnerable ignore them when they come seeking help and seeking justice. And in these types of scenarios, even the most convinced of Christians can be cast into doubt by the thought, if the gospel is true, how can so many supposed Christians be so dishonest and so cruel? So not only does hypocrisy affect the unity of the church community, it damages the church's ability to effectively share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, God doesn't deal with the sin of hypocrisy in the same way today as he did with Ananias and Sapphira. If he did, the church would probably resemble more of a morgue than anything else. You see, the church is established now enough globally that the moral failing of one or several individuals is not going to threaten the global spread of the gospel. Because ultimately, the church is not about an individual celebrity outside of Jesus Christ. And it's much greater than any human individual. Now, that doesn't mean that our hypocrisy wouldn't be destructive. And again, it doesn't take long or lurking too hard to see that the truth has a way of being brought into the light. And so in those circumstances, it is imperative that we respond with repentance and humility. Ultimately, the sin under the sin of Ananias and Sapphira was that they were using God to get a righteous reputation rather than serving God out of gratitude for giving them the righteousness of Christ. In other words, they were Christian Pharisees using religion to look and feel superior to others. They missed the humbling gospel of grace. But that is reading a bit between the lines. The basic sin of Ananias and Sapphira was to present themselves as something they were not. They posed as spiritual giants when they were actually struggling with pride and materialism. If they had come into the church, gotten up and confessed their struggle with sin, even after what they had done, then they would have been honest with the church. They would have been honest to the Holy Spirit. But the real sin of hypocrisy is a refusal to live in honest repentance. And so in the church today, there's no sin that completely breaks fellowship, ruins the church's witness, and destroys your relationship with God, except the refusal to repent. And so we fall into the same trap when we allow sin to continue in our lives, but outside we tell no one, make ourselves accountable to no one, and we live as if there are no problems. So how might we go about living lives of integrity? First, in our interactions with others, especially those with whom we are close in relationship, those relationships need to be ones that are built on trust and honesty. Lewis Smedes, the author of the book, A Pretty Good Person, writes, lying demeans people. It treats them as if they were not mature enough to be trusted with reality. And this may seem like a over-the-top statement. But just take a moment to think about how you felt the last time you were lied to. How did that feel? Now think about the last time you knowingly lied to someone. When they found out, what happened to the relationship in that moment? 
It's relationally destructive. Secondly, remember that it's okay to not be okay. Let me be the first to tell you from my own experience, you're going to mess this up, and that's okay. And while naturally we'll want to deny it, we need to be quick to admit when we've messed up, seek forgiveness, and then try to change. You see, Jesus never intended that his church would be a place where people are more comfortable walking in hypocrisy because the atmosphere is such that honesty about life and our walk with Christ is discouraged. You know, I'm not sure when or where the enemy succeeded in creating an atmosphere whereby we don't feel comfortable sharing with each other our weaknesses, but that's not the way that Jesus intended the church to be. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 4.25 that we need to put off falsehood with one another, walk in honesty before God and with one another. And so we need to understand and let the world know that the church is a place where it's okay to not be okay. The church should be a place where we admit our faults, failures, and weaknesses and accept others with their faults, failures, and weaknesses with the understanding that Jesus saves people with faults, failures, and weaknesses and promises to make us new. Let us pray. Almighty God, through the example of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, you transform and renew us in your image. Jesus Christ, light of our hearts, you know our thirst. We ask that you would lead us to the wellspring of your good news. Light of the world, you shine in every human being, and we ask that you would enable us to discern your presence in each person. Jesus Christ, friend of the poor, open in us the gates of simplicity so that we can welcome you. And Jesus Christ, gentle and humble of heart, renew in us the spirit of childhood. Jesus Christ, you send your church to prepare your path in the world. Open for all people the gates of your kingdom. Amen.